Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 5th. Mental attitudes are often reflected in bodily positions. Do you lean habitually forward, as I often do, speaking for myself? Do you lean habitually forward as if to grasp at events before they happen? Do you lean backward as if to distance yourself from others or from some unpleasantness? Do you tend to lean sideways as if to find a strategy for getting around some obstacle? Keep your bodily and mental posture upright, relaxed, and serene. You'll find it relatively easy then to cope with any difficulties that confront you. It's really so interesting. I think you could pick up life from the shape of your thumbnail and really just be able to tell the whole of a person if you knew how to read it. I know there's remember and maybe they still exist medical systems i don't think they're i don't think they're mainstream medical systems where with a drop of blood they can diagnose everything and of course psychics can look at a picture and know all kinds of things about you one of my friend friends who uh, is a, a, has genuinely expanded perception of reality she's she's just naturally that way her mother and her grandmother were also that way sometimes these run in families uh, she she was told by her mother that the, her mother's first perception of her daughter's expanded realities were when the mother was doing a tarot card reading in the living room for uh, a, a perfect stranger, just somebody in the town, and the little girl came in and started talking to the to the lady, the the mother's client about her little boy and what his interests were. I mean, she started talking about the boy, what he liked to do, what he didn't like to do, how much fun this was, how much fun that was. She'd never seen the woman before. She'd never met his son. She had no way of knowing he had a child. And later when her mother asked her, it it was like the little girl was just like, but it was just so obvious. (laughs) It was just so obvious in the woman's aura that she was carrying in her aura this little boy because that's who she was, she was expanded into it. So there is this capacity that people really have to really know things that are not obvious. Now Swami's talking about physical evidence, he's not talking about psychic capabilities. And I was, I was shifting it over into that, saying that everything that we do is interconnected. You know, with that um, woman that I'm talking about, who is someone I know, I know now, I know her well, from time to time, you know, she's looked at a photograph of someone and just talked about the relationship that you have with her or don't have or the difficulties you have. She actually helps a lot of people because she can actually often have insights that you can't get by ordinary methods. Now what Swami's trying to say is he's really encouraging us to expand our awareness of the implications of our own actions beyond what is obvious. when I met Swami Kriyananda, I mean, let me phrase it differently, when I was first getting to know Swami really well, 
which was during the 1970s. Um, I have a, I've always had a, a, I like intelligence, that's the only way I can put it, it's kind of a hobby of mine. <laughs> I, I just, I like intelligent conversation, I like intelligent thought. It's just, it's not more important than many other things in the world, so that's why I call it a hobby, but that's how I am. Um, uh, my, my spiritual connection to Swami Kriyananda was formed when I saw him for the first time, literally, before he spoke. So I had no idea what his personality was like. I had no idea what his inclinations were on any level, but I, I, I recognized his consciousness as being without boundaries, is the way it felt to me. And I also recognized his consciousness as the consciousness that I myself wish to have. And so it, it was just, it, it, in about 30 seconds it was done. And it, I never wavered. I have never wavered to, the mo- to this moment. His being off the planet doesn't affect it. It's a consciousness that's not bound by time and space. But when he then, after, then he spoke, because it was a, a program in which he spoke, and after he finished speaking, I thought to myself, this is the most intelligent man I've ever met, which was kind of a bonus, because that's something that I enjoy. Um, But when I I began to know Swami better, and I began to work as his secretary, and I began to work with him in the context of the Ananda communities and many things like that, I was so struck by, he wasn't just intelligent, he just had a capacity to see into situations, to see into people, to, I mean, the rest of us, and I'll just, I'll certainly say myself, but even to a certain extent, many of us, we were very bright. But Swami was always able just to to put the same pieces together more clearly, or to just think of something that just hadn't occurred to anyone. And I began to actually be very curious it's like, what is the secret of his intelligence? And as I began to understand the spiritual path more, and I began to understand the, the implications of Master's statement that reason always follows feeling. And that's something that a person who's strong-minded, it's not something that you necessarily want to embrace first, but this is how whenever the, there is excuse me, a bias in the heart, in favor of one reality or another, the mind will find reasons why it's true. I'll use a slightly negative example, but it's a very interesting one. You know, how many times does have has someone become deeply involved with someone who is, for example, an alcoholic or a drug addict? And everybody else can tell that this man has a drinking problem or this woman has a drinking problem, but somebody wants it not to be true. And so they'll take all the same evidence and they'll never put it together properly. And then at a certain point, maybe years later, when the the reality of it can no longer be denied, they'll wonder, why didn't I see it before? Because reason follows feeling. How can otherwise highly educated, intelligent people develop prejudices against a certain race or a certain minority or ethnic group? People who are quite refined. And in other ways, you, you don't understand it, but something in them needs to be superior and have someone to blame. So the mind makes up all these reasons. So when I was trying to understand what the secret of Swami's intelligence was, I really began to realize that the power of his mind 
came from the clarity of his heart. Because almost always, as I began to watch it, my inability to see something that's, that Swami was able to see is because on some feeling level, some emotional level, I was either pre-committed or biased against. In other words, a like or a dislike was clouding my mind. And Swami was, he just wanted truth. He wasn't afraid. He was neither attached nor afraid. And I was both attached and afraid. I mean, just in a, in a global sense. I had a lot of attachments and a lot of fears. And as far as I could see, Swami doesn't, didn't, doesn't. He just doesn't. That's why his consciousness was so expanded. So this is what became interesting in light of what Swami has written here. Um, many of you, you know, watching this never met Swami Kriyananda or perhaps met him later in his life when he became better known and traveled around the world a lot more. But when he was younger, in his 40s, 50s, really through his 60s probably, um, he had a very characteristic posture. Now I'm going to sort of back up a little bit in the Mahabharata, which is the great epic of India. The hero of the Mahabharata is Arjuna, and Arjuna is an archer. He has a, a bow and arrow as his weapon. And when you have a bow and arrow, there's a, the string is straight, and the bow itself is curved. And so what that, that symbolically represents, the string represents the straight spine, and when the spine is straight, the heart is naturally lifted. It's just the shoulders go back and the heart is opened. And in the Mahabharata, when Arjuna loses heart, he unstrings the bow, which is, means he, he, he slumps. And instead of his heart being open, think about it. If you slump, if you pull your shoulders forward, if you curve your spine forward, you pull your chest in, protecting the heart. A lot of people who have that as an habitual posture are, are very sensitive. And it's, it's a, a natural effort to protect that vulnerable part of yourself. Well, Swami's posture, viewed from the side, was like a strung bow. As he grew a little bit older, his, his uh, you know, as often happens, his spine grew weaker and his posture shifted. But when his body was strong, absolute straight spine and absolutely fearless with his heart because he was neither attached nor afraid. It's just like whatever is true is fine. And when you looked at him, when you looked at the plane of his body, it was like the heart was in front of the nose. <laughs> it was just like that was how he met life, fearlessly, like this. And as a consequence, reason was not corrupted by feeling. Reason was actually beautifully guided by feeling because feeling could sense the intuitive reality of things without the biases that certainly influence me and influence a lot of people in the world. Um, and so it's very interesting, and I have, have worked to mimic Swami's posture more because I've tended to approach life from the frontal lobe. And so, and even I, I've observed when I, you know, see these videos, if I have something I really want to say, I'll lean toward the camera. <laughs> and in, in light of what Swami's saying, I've actually tried to break that habit, but it's very interesting to me. I want you to get my thought, and as a consequence, I want to push on you with the part of me that's thinking. Whereas, if one is just relaxed, serene, as Swami's saying, you don't have to push like that. You can just let it radiate, and the heart also stays more in balance 
with the mind. So Swami just offers us this just wonderful way of thinking about it. And there's a particular friend of mine who, who was upset with me. <laughs> and I, I remember whenever we would talk, exactly what Swami said, they would lean back, you know, until the, until the disharmony was resolved. And, and, it was, and, and they would lead so far back, sometimes they couldn't hear me. <laughs> it would just be crazy. But it was exactly that, you know, just, I'm sitting at the table with you, but I don't really want to be here. I love, my favorite, though, was when you're leaning around. I, I understand the forward and back, because I've experienced both of them directly. But that sort of leaning to the side to try to get around things, I find it absolutely charming. I'm going to have to experiment with it a little bit to sort of see how it works, just kind of going off to one side, hoping that you can avoid the road that you're going to have to go down. You know, all of these things are, are fascinating, instructive, and on a certain level, the word I have to use is fun. Sometimes when I see someone has a very unusual posture or a very dramatic posture or a peculiar w- way of walking or a, a really distinctive way of using their hands or their arms or anything like that, not in their presence, but sometimes afterwards I'll mimic it. I'll just ask, you know, what attitude would create this gesture? Or, or where is my consciousness centered that I would walk in that particular way or move my hips or swing my shoulders? And often you get really interesting insights. And, you know, we're all the same. As Swamiji says, we, spe- we, we help each other by specializing and being some aspect of the infinite. But we can learn. And then we can also then apply that, like to what extent, if it's, if it's attractive or unattractive, whichever one it is, to what extent can that um, insight be useful to me? Either directly in helping that person and sort of seeing that they're telling you something that they might not be able to verbalize, or feeling that, oh, this is what I'm doing when I do this, and is this really something I wish to continue? Or perhaps that's why people are responding to me the way they're responding because I'm actually communicating something that I don't, I'm not aware that I'm communicating. So you see how fun it can be, how very, very, very interesting, all kindly, all focused toward helping, not judgmental, not put down, just aren't we all interesting? And isn't there so much to learn, really, about being ourselves? So, Swami says, mental attitudes are often reflected in bodily positions. Do you lean habitually forward as if to grasp at events before they happen? Do you lean backward as if to distance yourself from others or from some unpleasantness? Do you tend to lean sideways as if to find a strategy for getting around some obstacle? Keep your bodily and mental posture upright, relaxed, and serene. You'll find it relatively easy then to cope with any difficulties that confront you. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.